listening to First Church Charlotte. doesn't mean I won't get on your toes sometime. That's just a preacher thing. You can't hold it against me. All preachers do it, you see. Just blame preachers in general. Don't blame a beloved, innocent person such as myself. Uh, We're so glad you're here. Uh, We're going to read in the scripture together, and I'm going to try, if the Lord will help me, to deliver my heart uh, and share with you the scripture. Let us read together in Acts chapter number 6. Let's stand as is our habit. We'll read one verse of scripture, and then I'll have you be seated. Uh, I do. I, did, I received some sad news today. Uh, we have scheduled Brother Nugent to be with us for our Passion Week at the end of this month, and uh, there is some problems. He's not in as good as health as he used to be, and he can't travel as much, and so it looks like um, we may not be able to get him uh, for that last week of the month. However, we will be working dil- diligently to uh, work that out, and just stay tuned, and we'll give you updates on that. Um, But here we are, Acts chapter number 6. Let's read one verse of Scripture, verse number 7. Then the word of the Lord spread. Somebody say yes. That's a good thing, right? Then the word of the Lord spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. That's a good thing too, right? Praise God. Things are going good. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, that's a scripture I had not noticed much. And I thought that I had spent a good amount of time in the book of Acts. I'm a big believer in the book of Acts. I believe the book of Acts is a guide, not just to how the church started, but it's a guide to how the church should should continue. Can I have an amen? I believe the book of Acts, the reason why there's no finishing amen in the book of Acts is because this type of spiritual purpose, progress, and mission should continue in the earth. Can I have an agreement? And so I want very much to be a Book of Acts church. I want to be a Book of Acts preacher. And I, uh, as a result, see a scripture like this, and I'm like, man, I have not thought about that. So I am going to steal a sermon title from my mother uh, when I was a teenager. She preached. I don't think she ever really taught. She was always a preacher. She would, she would preach. She preached a message when I was a teenager entitled, What in the World is the Church Doing? And so I'm still in it. And I'm not paying royalties, but I am giving you credit. <laughs> Before you're seated, smile at your neighbor, say, what in the world is the church doing? Amen. So my mother is uh, probably not quite as good a preacher as my brother, but she is a better preacher than me. And... Um, So she reminds me of that on occasion. Actually, my wife's a better preacher than me too, but she only wants to preach to me. If I make her preach to anybody else, she's like, oh, I'm not feeling it, brother. I just don't feel the Lord in it. But as soon as I come up as a subject, well, you need to listen to your own preaching, and she gets going. So, Our ladies had a great time. I want you to know, for the record, this pink backdrop was not my idea. I don't preach with pink backdrops. It's really not the will of God for my life at this time. Uh, (laughs) Um, But I'm glad to do it today. Our ladies did have a wonderful weekend, and we're thankful for that. And uh, we've already got next year. Who's scheduled to speak? 
Sister Davy will be uh, speaking for us next year on Ladies Weekend. That's going to be great. So let me quit talking about the women and get started here. Uh, it is very much important that we become, as I've said, and we are a Book of Acts church. The only real guide of what the disciples did with the investment that Jesus made in them is that survey of the book of Acts. If you want to see what the New Testament church did with everything they had learned, now you can make an argument that they learned the wrong lesson. That's that's fine if you have a cantankerous spirit. You can argue that they misunderstood. You can say they missed it, but that's on you. If you want to know what they did, with what they had been invested with by Jesus, you have to read the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, there is this profound story that is told. Now, I have, I have preached a good bit from the book of Acts in my life. I have studied it probably more than any other single book um, in the Bible. And it truly is it's just amazing. The book of Acts, let me give you some, this isn't in my notes, but let me just give you some overview here. Um, the book of Acts is really the story of three ministers. There are three ministers. Uh, the first, if I remember correctly, the first uh, uh, 12 uh, or t- the 10 chapters are about Peter. And then uh, one of the chapters, either 11th or 12th, you could look really quick by looking, uh, is about Stephen. Uh, and then he dies in that chapter. And the rest of the book is about Paul. So this is kind of the presentation of these three ministries. And through them are told a larger story. And that is the story of the New Testament church. The book of Acts was written by Luke. Uh, he wrote it as a continuation of his gospel of Luke. And he gives us this profound gift of what the first church that had walked with Jesus, that had talked with Jesus, that had been alive at his resurrection and were witnesses of his glory, we are able to see with what exactly they did. And so, uh, thusly, we learn from it. And there's a a larger story in the book of Acts that is easily missed. Um, If we simply review miracles and and, and great fears coming upon the church and jailhouses being broken, if, if we simply read that as a celebration of God's power, we miss a larger story. And that is what I want to share with you today. Some of you will remember, I've touched on this before, a few years back I preached a message called A Tale of Two Churches, where I I compare the church at Jerusalem to the church at Antioch. That is very important for you to understand. Why is it important? You need to understand the book of Acts frontwards and backwards. Don't try to be an apostolic without knowing the book of Acts because everything we do, find, well, nearly everything we do, finds its basis in that book. And when you understand it, you are able to describe a tremendous amount of apostolic style worship culture, church culture. You understand why we want to see the miraculous move among us. You understand why we want to see people repent of their sins. They start at faith. Even in the book of Acts, they start at faith. You can't rush past that. And from faith, they go to repentance. And from repentance, they go to baptism. And from baptism, they go to spirit-filled. Can I have an amen? This is important. You need to know the book of Acts. It doesn't matter what I think. doesn't matter what you think. What did they do in the book of Acts? And we want to to 
get that. And yet, even in the book of Acts, there is a larger story of purpose and God's will that is being told. And it is best understood in this comparison between the church at Jerusalem and the church at Antioch. But let me not get ahead of myself. The book of Acts goes over 27 years, if I remember correctly. And uh, if you see the passing of time, you understand that the story is, is we're in many cases just getting a, a bit of the story. We are not necessarily be given a, a, a complete compendium of everything that happened, but we are given insight and themes that the gospel writer Luke wants us to know. So I want you to see this from Acts chapter number one to the text we read together in Acts chapter number 6 is a passage of approximately 10 years. A decade has, ha- has passed. What has happened in that decade? I want you to know the book of Acts. Forgive me if I repeat myself. What has happened in that decade? There has been great revival in Jerusalem. There are literally thousands of converts in Jerusalem, and we read here in this passage in chapter number 6, verse number 7, that there are, and I'm going to read in the King James Version, a great company of the priests that were obedient to the faith. There's been 10 years of Jerusalem revival, and there are in this a great company. Whenever the Bible uses this phrase, a great company, they're not talking about a handful. They're not talking about you and your cousin and your cousin and your mom and them. It's talking about thousands of people. There are a great company of priests, not just uh, carpenters, not just blue-collar workers, not just fishermen. There is literally thousands of priests that have become obedient to what? The faith in Jesus Christ. That's an awesome thing. That's a wonderful thing. Aren't you, aren't you glad they had revival in Jerusalem? And so you see the word of God's increased. We read the number of disciples is multiplied greatly and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. And yet, and yet they are missing something. Why had God placed power in the church? Why did God place authority in the church? It was not simply so the church itself could have power. It was not simply so we could be mighty in some way. It wasn't for that reason. The Bible tells us why you're going to be endued with power. In fact, it's not just a writer's opinion. It is literally the words of Jesus. So here is the words of Jesus on why there is power in the church. Are you ready for this? Acts 1 and verse number 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. Someone say Jerusalem. Somebody say Judea. Somebody say Samaria. And somebody say to the uttermost part of the earth. This matters. This is why power is placed in the church. It's not so we can be lifted up in any vanity of ourselves. The power is not about us. Indeed, there's a temptation of the power to use it as a type of self-selection mantra whereby we think we are better than other people. Don't ever look at a new convert who is standing there and they don't even know how to pray or someone coming from a life of 
spiritual oppression and they don't even know how to worship and don't ever feel better because you do know how to pray and you do know how to worship. The power that you have received was for you and through you for them. First, it's the power of God unto salvation. But after that, it's to the Jew, it's to the Greek, it's to the Roman. Why is there power? Oh, hallelujah. I might get to preaching here a little bit today. Why is there power in the church? Because revival needs to go out. That's why. It's not so you can have powerful prayer meetings. I'm glad you have powerful prayer meetings. But when you get done praying, you need to walk out of that prayer room and say, God's given me power to make a difference in my world. It's not so you can have revelations of Scripture. It's great to have revelations of Scripture. But after you have those revelations of Scripture, you need to take that power, that anointing, that authority, and you need to go make a difference in your world. You are God's plan for your world. And the interesting thing is that there has been great revival in Jerusalem. Nothing has happened anywhere else. This, and I'm going to try to be fair in saying this, but this has been a common problem of the house of Israel. The covenant people, Abraham's children, they make the same error in the Mosaic times where it was the will of God that through Abraham's covenant all the nations of the world be blessed. Instead, they become insular and they turn it into an exclusion system whereby they have value, others do not. We've talked about that some. They missed this heart thing in the kingdom of God and they missed this other's thing in the kingdom of God. And the Bible says when Jesus came to his own, his own received him not. Why? He offered a path they didn't want. In fact, the Bible talks about this also in the first chapter of the book of Acts when they say one to another, we believed he would be the one who resurrected the kingdom of Israel. He wasn't interested in overthrowing Rome, conquering Rome. He was interested in conquering sin. Most of our problems are not our problems. It is the sin problem that's beneath a lot of our problems that we are able to find victory and hope in. I'm here to tell you, revival happened in Jerusalem, but there was no heart in Jerusalem to take it anywhere else. And so what do we see when God's people miss the point of God's purpose? What do we see scripturally from Genesis to Revelations when God's people miss the point of God's purpose? What do we see them do? We see them turn insular. We see them celebrate themselves. We see them exclude others. What does God do to shake them up? He brings judgment to them. So it is in the Old Testament. He sends judgment to them. He sends prophets to them. And they're even in the midst of that persecution, they do not have their hearts restored to where it should be. The first thing God tries is persecution. The second thing, if God cannot change, Old Testament new, if he cannot change people, what does he do? He just finds somebody else. Say it with me. He finds somebody else. This should make us sincere believers and us sincere Christians willing to endure tough times if that's what it takes to keep God's purpose at the forefront of our life because if we will not endure the chastening of the Lord then we are simply bypassed and he finds somebody else who has vision so it is that Christ came to his own his own received him not but to as many as received him 
to them gave he power to become the sons of God. In Jerusalem, you have a decade of revival, not one missionary trip sent anywhere. In Jerusalem, you don't have any, any organized effort to see anything beyond Jerusalem. And so the tension begins to rise between people of the Jesus movement and the people who are the Mosaic culture police and this tension is rising and it's rising and there's people caught in the middle there's people the beginning of Acts chapter 15 you find people who are preaching Mosaic law as a requirement of salvation it is a requirement of salvation this brings the problem to a head but let me back up before we get to that and let's see the moment persecution comes into the church it comes to a head when Stephen is preaching Jesus 10 years has passed nothing has happened there's been no anything but revival there. There's no heart for anything beyond them. And so he begins to preach Jesus. Those of the house of Israel that are holding tightly to Moses, they are critical of him. And they all of them, they all of them begin to speak ugly and that rage begins to build and anger begins to build and they begin to pick up rocks and threaten to throw them and then somebody throws the first rock and it isn't long before Stephen is dying in his own blood, having been stoned because he preached Jesus above the theology and the prophetic place of Moses. And standing there holding the coats of these men is an individual who right now he's a persecutor. But God says, if you won't get the mission and you won't see the purpose, I'll find somebody who will. And this is the story, Old Testament new, of the challenge that is upon God's people. It's not enough for us to be blessed. It's not enough for me to have my life organized. It's not enough that my wife is submitted in every regard and treats me like a king in my own castle. Bah, ha, 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 ha. (laughs) That's not enough. I have to have a heart for people with unorganized lives. I have to have a heart with people with broken families. And if I don't, then God's looking to find somebody who does. Do you see? Now, let me show you some scripture here that will give you an insight. The Bible is clear. The mission is clear. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. But the church in Jerusalem preaches the gospel to their own kind. They don't even want to go to Samaria. Revival doesn't even make the jump from Jerusalem to Judea and Judea to Samaria. All they can see is what is going on in the kingdom of Israel. Acts 1 and 6, they wanted God to restore the king of Israel. Instead, the mission of Jesus was much broader. He said, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house might be filled. Don't ever let someone give you a reason that they can't come to church, that they don't have clothes to wear. You tell them to come just as they are. If necessary, you give them something, borrow them something, whatever they need to feel good about themselves. Whosoever will come into the house. This is a house for all peoples. This is not a polished righteousness collection. This is a hospital. And wherever you are in your life, you need to be able to be free to come into the house of the Lord and say, I belong here. And we're going to put the sons of Korah out front and we're going to look at you and say, we're so glad you're here. We're so happy you're here. My life's not perfect either and I'm glad you're in the house. So stay with me. I've got a long way to go. I've got a lot of scripture to give you. Paul will see this. The man who is holding the coats will see this. He's the one who will say to the weak, I became as weak. 
that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might be all by all means save some. So he stands here waiting in the wings and Paul and, 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 and Stephen is stoned. And so we see the Jerusalem church. They have no vision for anything beyond themselves. Ten years passed and then something is going to happen. The persecution starts with Stephen. I want to show you biblically what happens after God allows all things are in some way not necessarily caused by God, but he finds a way to bring good out of them. If all things were caused by God, there would be no free will, and there would be no individual choice, and there would be no need for Calvary. There'd be no need for an altar. Not all things are caused by God. You might go home and be ugly. God didn't cause that, but if you will let him, he'll find a way to bring something good out of it. So the next time you mean to your wife, men, just tell them, say, I'm, the Lord's looking for a way to bring something good out of this. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. Acts chapter number 11. I want you to see verse number 19, what's happening in the scripture. You need to know the book of Acts. You need to know it cold. Okay? 11 and 19. Now they which were scattered abroad. How did it happen? Why were they scattered abroad? The Bible tells us. Upon the persecution that arose about Stephen... Where did persecution start? It all started with Stephen preaching Jesus. And persecution has come. What is the result of that persecution? All of these Jesus preachers are scattered abroad. And now they are all through the land. They go as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch. But what do they do? They preach the word to none but unto the Jews only. So understand, know the book of Acts. After the persecution of the church, the people in the church promoting Jesus and the people in the church and uh, out of the church who are promoting Moses. There is persecution and these preachers of Jesus are sent all around the world or at least out into the Mediterranean basin, we should say. And there they look for Jewish communities. Uh, that is what the majority, if we understand the text, does. They look for these, com these communities and they offer the word only to the Jews. But now there are some of them that were men of Cyprus and Cyrene. Now these are not Jews. These are men of Cyprus, a Gentile area, and men of Cyrene. But they've heard. They've been introduced. And they begin to share the story they've heard through the Jews. And now something is going to happen. For the first time, the Great Commission is going to get beyond Judea. The Great Commission is now going to get to Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. And it's going to happen through these men from Cyrene and Cyprus. And when they go and tell the story, Gentiles start saying, man, what a beautiful story. Do you think God could love us that much? We've heard of a lot of religions, but uh, usually we're trying to appease God or we're trying to manipulate God or we're often sacrificed so God will like us. But here's the story of God loving us enough to make a sacrifice for and uh, to us. Could it be? This turns religion upside down. Maybe we'll call these people Christians. Maybe we'll say they're the ones who turn the world upside down. Down. Because rather than us trying to please God, they had this amazing, and we do try to please God, don't, don't misinterpret me. They had this amazing story of how God made sacrifice for us. 
It just is the craziest thing I've ever heard. I've been exposed to religion. That is as beautiful a redemption story as you'll ever find. I wonder if when I pray, I would feel the spirit of Jesus. Oh, come on, somebody. I wonder if I could talk to I see these Jews. I wonder if I could talk. And somewhere, somehow a Gentile goes into that service that's all Jews. And they begin to pray. And he says, I'll just kind of pray along with them here. And it's not long before he feels God's love in his heart. It's not long and something is about to happen. There is going to be a great revival. It is a necessary revival. If this gospel only stays among the children of Moses and the house of Israel, it's going to die. But if it can get to the Gentiles, it's going to live forevermore. And so it is. My God, I wish I could preach today. I'm enjoying this more than you. At least I'm preaching better than you're responding. And I don't even care. It's all right. I will be my own amen corner. And they began preaching Jesus. Read this in the scripture. They began preaching Jesus. And the Bible says, oh, this is the good part. The Bible says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. Let me keep reading. Verse 21. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. This is the moment of destiny. This is the moment of change. They do this where? They do this when they were come to Antioch. They began preaching Jesus in Antioch. Antioch is a Gentile city. There were Jews there, but it was a Gentile city. This is a moment of destiny. It's after this moment that they'll be called Christians. It's after this moment that they will say they turn the world upside down. Jerusalem never knew what to do with anything that was culturally awkward. They did not know what to do with anybody who didn't look like them and go to the temple like them and celebrate like them and vote like them and the like. They were used to their own divisions between the Essenes and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and and the like, but they were not used to the Gentiles having faith. And there is something that happens. Let me just be real here today. There is something that can happen in us that when somebody else claims God and they do something that is repugnant to us, we don't see it theologically. We see it and feel it emotionally. It is though we are sick at our stomach when we see them because it is repugnant to us. I'll never forget a worship song, one of my favorite worship songs that I sang and sang in in prayer meetings and I sang it in church and I finally saw the video of the group that did the song and it was Jesus, I think it's called Jesus Culture and or something like that and they were singing the song and they, they, they looked, they looked rough man, they looked like hippies, they looked like who knows, they'd just been drug out of the back end of a prison somewhere. I don't know. They're probably great people. I'm not trying to judge them. But just my initial response was they weren't the clean cut upstanding good examples of clean living and righteous demeanor that I was used to and I felt contempt in my heart. And I thought to myself, how can these people know anything about God? Why am I telling you a personal story? I don't know anything about them as a band. I'm not trying to speak to them. I'm using a personal example as this feeling of how when somebody who does not do things we do, imagine we're Jews and they eat bacon. It is a abomination. Dietary restrictions given in Deuteronomy 6. The word there is taweba, a moral offense in Deuteronomy 6. 
I think it's Deuteronomy 6. It's not in my notes. But when they're given in one of the chapters, that's the word that's used. It's a moral offense. Imagine them look at somebody and they're eating something that has blood in it. Now, that sounds gross to me, but the Gentiles ate that kind of a thing. And here you see it is abhorrent to them. Everything they stand against. And they don't look at it theologically. They don't look at it missionally. All they can feel is contempt and repugnance. I have seen people, I won't lie, come into a church where I felt that in my own heart. Their lives were too messy. Their clothes were a little bit too, mm -hmm. it was too much. And in my moment of self-described godliness, I felt this contempt for them. That's why they could never have revival in Jerusalem. They could not open their heart to the hot mess of the real world. And the world can be messy, 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 messy. It can be ugly, ugly, ugly. I know there are churches like that. I wasn't raised in a church like that. I never remember time growing up in, the, in our church where there wasn't hot messes out there, honey. We had enough hot messes to scare off a whole flock of Pharisees. This is what I want you to see right now. The church has to have a mission beyond its celebration of its own power and its own authority and its own anointing. If we won't, God will find somebody who will. If we won't, God will raise up somebody that today they don't even believe. He'll find a Saul of Tarsus and he'll say, you go. Those people won't go. They want to stone Stephen. I'll send you Saul. And so Saul's on the Damascus road, and a light strikes him down, and he's like, whoa, I've been doing everything wrong. Sometimes I'm afraid God needs to shake us and say, take a moment here and learn how to get it right. So, all right, I'm all fired up, and I don't even know where I'm at in my notes. There's not going to be any acceptance in Jerusalem. And so, when Paul has his moment of God on the road to Damascus. He first goes to Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church doesn't really want to have too much to do with him. Uh, there's initial acceptance. There's initial baptism. And then they send him, read the scripture, back to Tarsus. And here he is between Tarsus and a desert place. He spends years studying the scripture, trying to understand. He feels like he's been abandoned. Meanwhile, Jerusalem is going great guns. A, a great multitude of priests who walk properly. And they are so organized. Their life is so beautiful. They are the face of the church. And they have all the dignity of their Mosaic covenant, which is a beautiful thing. And they have all the organization of their Mosaic law, which is a beautiful thing. They don't have room for anybody else in their polished, pretty presentations of Pentecost. And here's crazy Paul. My God, I wish someone would give me the microphone. I'd show these suckers a thing or two. Just give me the mic. No one will give me a pulpit. Holy cow. No one will let me preach. Let me show you what happens in the scripture. Revival starts in Antioch. And Barnabas, that good man, that good Jew, he, 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 he needs... He needs some help. And so someday, I don't know how it happened, but I, I like to imagine. One day he's like, my God, this is a hot mess. People don't know anything. They don't know the history. They don't know the covenant with Moses. They don't know how Abraham.
Abraham believed the Lord and it was imputed as righteousness. They don't believe anything, but they're preaching Jesus. Who can I get? I need somebody who's not too good to get down with the messy people who used to worship worship a Diana or Dionysian worship. I need somebody who is just, they'll get muddy. Who can I think of? And all of a sudden, he says, I know who. And the Bible tells us, chapter number 11, then departed Barnabas to Sarsus. Verse 25, you need to know this book of Acts, verse number 11. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus. Why are you going to Tarsus, Barnabas? <laughs> For to seek Saul. That's the Bible. For to seek Saul. My God, I need a crazy preacher. Somebody needs to make an organization of this mess that's going on around here. I don't know what to do with it, but I'm not going to say God's not in it. Let me tell you, almost every effective move of God I've ever seen goes through a chaotic stage. It goes through this mess stage. It goes through where you don't know what's going on and who's doing what and why. And you're just like, okay, whatever. Let it be. You can't control God. God is like the wind. He blows where he wills. The moment you try to organize him and lasso him, he blows off over here. And you're like, hey, what's with the dry spell? Let me tell you, we need to be willing to let the Spirit blow through our lives. We need to let the Spirit blow. God is a moving God. You don't pin God down. You don't tie God down. He is a moving God. He's always over here. And about the time you think you own him, he's over here. And about the time you think you've got him tied down, he mm. he goes to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he found him, I'm still in the book of Acts, and when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch. My God, has anybody seen Saul? Yeah, crazy Saul. The guy always going around mumbling about Abraham. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I got kicked out of Jerusalem. Now he made a mess in Jerusalem. It was horrible. No one understood anything there. The priests just looked down their nose at him. It was horrible. And uh, so, you know, he, he had credentials, but man, they just would not. Hey, we sent him away. Anybody say, oh, Saul. And Saul's over here. He imputed his righteousness and the righteousness of God and the law. You know, preachers preach to themselves. You hadn't been around enough preachers. Preachers preach to themselves. If the law could not, if the law could have done it, then Christ died in vain. The law is not enough. There has to be a sacrifice in the washing of blood and redemption. My God, and there is therefore now no condemnation. The Holy Spirit does not condemn; it convicts. Convicts ends with hope. Condemn ends with judgment. There is now no. Have you ever seen a young, frustrated preacher? If you hadn't hang out with Anthony sometime, I mean, he just, you see the, sorry, if you see the post he puts on Facebook, he's like, my God, I was standing. And then an angel came down and John 7 said, yay and behold. And I spun around to my wife and said, yay and behold. He's like, my God, somebody give me a microphone. He's like a 17 page book on Facebook. I love you, dude. You are awesome. You, my brother. That's Paul. He's like, it's dumb. Home, home. Get the home out of here. And Barnabas is like, woohoo! Here's a microphone. In Antioch. So there's this great transition that happens in the New Testament church. When Paul gets to Antioch, the gasoline meets its a match. And kaboom! 
Yeah, that's in the scripture, Nathaniel 16 and 9. Kaboom is what happens in the book of Acts. And so here they are, two church models. Jerusalem has more priests than anywhere else in the world. Antioch has more mess, chaotic lives, people who don't know nearly anything about anything. And you have two models. Jerusalem, pretty organized. They have the structure of the temple. They have the Mosaic law. They have the proper. They have the pronounced. They have the educated. And Antioch, they don't know anything. There's only one problem. In Antioch is where God wants to be. And in Jerusalem, there is a turn. And those who would stop the move of God begin to win. They begin to control. And so it is that you see this moment in the book of Acts where the gospel moves from the educated arena where there were thousands of converted, as it were, priests to a place like Antioch where no one really knows what's going on. Nobody. Paul writes two-thirds of the New Testament trying to bring a restitution to this problem. He goes to Rome in chains trying to bring a restitution to this problem. He says in his writings, I would be accursed myself if I could see my home family, my kindred, have their eyes open to see the great the hope that is in Jesus Christ. But there's this problem. No one can see for you. You have to see. It doesn't matter if your neighbor sees. It doesn't matter if the person down the road sees. If you don't see how God moves in the chaos and how God loves the flawed and how God moves heaven and earth to get whosoever will into the wedding feast, I'm telling you, if there was ever a day the church threw open the doors and said, whoever will come, wherever you are, this is a house for all people. Today is the day. And there's all kind of confusion in this church. And when we get in Acts 15 to the first great uh, church conclave, uh, this issue of over what is required is it is are we redeemed through Jesus Christ or must we be circumcised? And, and there's these believing priests who are preaching uh, circumcision. And it's, it's a pretty good argument. I actually have written out their argument from the book of Genesis. It's connected directly to covenant. It's not connected to law. Circumcision is. It's connected to it's pre-law. It's connected to salvation. That's God's words to Abraham. It is never revoked anywhere. I've written it out as a personal exercise. Their argument for circumcision, they probably had a better one than me. They're more organ, more educated than me. And the Hebrews, their natural language, they don't have to see through uh, concordances like I do. But they, that was their argument. And here you see this problem. If circumcision is required, there will never be a Gentile men's ministry. No, that's funny. Y'all didn't laugh, but that is, that is funny. You are not going to have any men's conference when circumcision is required. There will be one guy there, and his name's Timothy. Poor Timothy. Timothy has the sweetest spirit in all the word of the Lord because as an adult, he's subjected to the Jews, although Paul said he didn't have to, and he was circumcised. But Titus was like, no, 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 no. I will bust a calf in you. You put your hands on me. That's in the Bible too, the family 14 to 7. Uh, so <laughs> here you have two people. Timothy is like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm a punching bag. Punch me again. Poor Timothy. He had such a sweet, that man's going to heaven. Titus is like, no, 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 no. I don't think so. I'm with the Titus crowd, just so you know. 
I want you to understand what's happening. This is the revival in Antioch. The revival in Jerusalem is sliding into history. But in Antioch, nothing but good things are happening. Revival is happening. People are coming to faith. People are being drawn. What is the lesson between these two churches? This is what I want you to see. One church, they have everything but the main thing, and that is the mission. When Jesus gives the Great Commission and he says, go out, they're comfortable with Jerusalem, they're comfortable with Judea, but they refuse not to hear Samaria and the rest of the world. And if they won't do it, God will first trouble them and break up the ground of their heart. But if they will not see, he will go find somebody else. And revival continues. And the reason why the church exists today is because the church in Antioch refused to be intimidated by their betters. And they decided to believe. And they decided to trust. And they decided to celebrate. I want to be an Antioch church. I want our church. I'm comfortable with a mess. Why do you think I put up a Tina? That's funny. That is funny right there. I am comfortable with a mess. Who else can I pick on around here? Uh, nervous wrecks all around. I am comfortable Just keep coming. I had someone tell me something that uh, recently. They said, well, now I have to quit coming to church. I'm like, what? Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is a house where when you go, we're like Alcoholics Anonymous. You can show up and smell like liquor, but you have to say you're trying to do better. You see what I'm saying? The only requirement at Alcoholics Anonymous is that you're trying. It's perfectly okay to say day one. If you create a group, if you create a group where you only allow after they get to day 365, you don't have a support group, you have a celebration group. You see, you have a celebration group. You don't have a support group. In a support group, where's my phone? Oh, it's somewhere. Oh, there's my phone. almost lost the anointing there. I couldn't find my phone for a minute. <laughs> yes, Lord. <laughs> I know Ed's doing better, Lord. I, I know. <laughs> but what about Adam? <laughs> no, not in the garden. That Adam. <laughs> Sorry. That's being silly. I love you guys. Okay, so what was I talking about? Oh, in a support group, you look around. Mm. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I'm calling for, yeah, uh-huh, calling for Jeremy. He hadn't been in church. Where's he at? He was where? Okay, thanks for telling me. I just got a text. I know Chuck James. Yeah, his wife. I know. I know. He's been missing. No, we're not waiting 365 days to celebrate. No. I'm going to go get him right now. Where is he at? Where is he at? The big what? Honky tonk? He don't need to get the big whatever honky tonk. Ain't nothing good at the big whatever honky tonk. You see what I'm saying? 
in a support group, it can be day one. And I'm just as happy to see you on day one. To all our day oneers, I'm so glad you're here. I love the fire out of you. To all our day oneers, I'm here to tell you God's on your side. I speak faith to you in Jesus' name. I tell you there's a greater day coming, and God loves you all 24 hours of the day. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. I want to be a book of Acts church. I want it. For, I want to be a Book of Acts church. Let me give you a quick survey of some of the Book of Acts, and I won't do it all because it goes on and on. But here, Acts chapter number two, you're comfortable there. That's where miracles. That's where the the miracle of God's great gift of His Spirit to us is given. Acts chapter number three. They have miracles at a prayer meeting. I want to be the kind of church that when we get together to pray, we have miracles at prayer meetings. Please don't let the only time you pray be at this house. Take your place at your house and pray for the miraculous. Pray for it to happen in your neighborhood. Can I get a witness? Pray for an outpouring in your life. In Acts, that's Acts 3. Acts 4, their services literally are shaken by the power of God. Acts 5, they have church house to house. I pray our small groups, I pray people start repenting of their sins in small groups. I pray people make commitments to God in small groups. I pray there's wit, miracles and wonders and infillings of the Spirit of the Lord in small groups house to house. In chapter number 6, the people of the church commit to ministry so leadership can commit to seeking direction from the Lord. I need some people in this church to be committed to ministry. Don't give me this business about you're not perfect. Honey, ain't nobody, not even Bishop is perfect. I know, you know, most of us think he is, but even the bishops is not perfect. God wants to use you right now. Do you see what I'm saying? God wants to anoint you today. God wants ministry to happen right here. Chapter number 7, ordinary people in the church are used powerfully by God. Chapter number 8, people of influence are brought into the kingdom of God. Chapter number 9, religious people are converted miraculously. Chapter number 10, we are willing to reach people who aren't like us at all. Acts chapter number 11, even though persecution comes, the gospel begins to spread. Chapter number 12, God gives miraculous answers to prayer. Chapter number 13, somebody says, if we can't have church in Jerusalem, we'll have church wherever we are. I want to see a book of Acts experience for this city. And this, one of the things J.T. Pugh said to me in some of the time I, was, I spent with him, and our church was blessed to have his influence in the later years of his life, is he said some version of this. You have to have a commitment to the city. You can't just have a commitment to the church. You've got to have a commitment to the city. God did not just call you to a group of people. He called you to a city. And you have to have a vision for the city. God, give me a vision for the city. Give me a desire to see revival on more than just these acres right here. But God, give me and everybody person in this church a book of Acts passion where we're unhappy with anything less than a sovereign move of God. In Jesus name I pray. Hmm. Step out of the chair you're standing in right now. I feel the presence of the Lord here today. I'd like someone to come up here and lift their hands and say Lord I am volunteering right now to be a part of your work. I am volunteering right now to be a part of a Holy Ghost a Holy Spirit revival. I am volunteering right now to be your hands to show love 
grace to the world. Come on, as you come, would you lift your heart, lift your hands, lift your eyes. Say, oh God, we're hungry that we want a move of your spirit. We don't want to just celebrate ourselves, but God, we want an apostolic Holy Ghost really anointing of your spirit. When I get them, they're, they're, they've got a ways to go. They're not up to that high level. They're not at the Jerusalem level like me. They're just a bunch of Antiochians. But uh, they're just going to just hit a chord and just take off singing. And, and Adam's going to just start making up songs as he goes. He's, he's going to be singing about the Cleveland Browns are going to win this Sunday. You can tell what's in his soul, see? And I'll be like, Adam! And then I'll have to be reminded that even though I'm from Jerusalem... In Antioch, you have all kind of crazy stuff happening. You just, you just do not know. People get mixed up with it. They have to, you have to kind of show up with a smile and love. Say, now, now. Now, now, Tina. Now, now, now. I love all y'all. God, I pray you'd bless your people. I pray you'd walk with them. I pray you'd anoint them. I pray you'd direct them. I pray you'd fill them with your spirit. Make us strong. Make us strong in our faith. Give us the joy of your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. This is a house of prayer. If there's anyone who needs specific prayer, if you would like leaders in the church to anoint you with oil, don't slip out. Come right up here. Get get our attention. We will pray for you. Have a great week in Jesus' name. Ladies, go home and take a nap. I know you're exhausted. You've had a great weekend. God bless you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, Come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.